Hi, this is Marvin Kaplan. I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. Keep listening. Thanks. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Thank you for joining us. This is episode 236 of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zimrak, and this is the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, we have a great guy coming your way, Marvin Kaplan. Now, you may remember him from Top Cat, the cartoon. He was Choo Choo. Or you might remember him from Alice. Alice, uh, he was uh, started out as a just a little role as the telephone repairman that was called in. And then it just grew and continued on in the show for a long, long time. So he uh, that was a good role for him. And he was also in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Okay, and that was a classic film comedy with dozens and dozens of actors who were, who were great actors. And uh, if you get a chance, check that one out. Anyways, Marvin's going to be coming along and talking to us, talking to us about all kinds of stuff that he's been in, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I hope you're going to stick around for that. It's coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. And let's see, if you want to email us a little note about who you'd like to have on the show, email me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and I'll see what I can do about it. And I want to remind you that uh, the California Independent Film Festival is coming up. It's Thursday, November 8th through the 11th, and I will be there, and I will be moderating an interview with, well, on Saturday, November 10th at 11 o'clock at the New Ream Theater in Moraga, California. That's a little ways uh, right around the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, I will be moderating a interview with Don Wells. And that's going to be going on at 11 a.m. on Saturday, November 10th. And then at 3 o'clock, we'll have a conversation with Connie Stevens. So if you have questions for her and if you're in that area, be sure to drop by. I'd love to have you there. And it's going to be a lot of fun talking with these guests. So, um, and I'm going to try, if everything goes well electronically and everything, that um, we will rebroadcast those on a future show of On Screen and Beyond so everybody can hear it. So, that's about it. And uh, let's get now right into Remake Madness next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness. Well, Mike Hammer is back. The tough private investigator is headed to the remake circuit, and it's currently in development. And The Expendables is about to be remade. Well, sort of. It's a film called The Expendables, and it's in development, and it will focus on and feature a cast of tough female action stars so they're doing a little bit different on that one and a remake of george orwell's animal farm is in the works and it's looking for a 2014 release that's it for remake madness coming up next on on screen and beyond upcoming new movies Upcoming new movies, well, Jason Siegel is working on a film that's in development to star and write a movie called The Other F Word. It's about a former punk rocker turned father who rejoins his bandmates, and it's currently in development, as I said. And Brian Grazier and Mick Jagger are producing a biopic 
on the life of singer James Brown. And you can also look for an untitled Western comedy movie from producer Adam Sandler. It's in the works over at Paramount, and Sandler is also going to star in it. That's it for upcoming new movies. Next on Onscreen and Beyond, taking you down to Sequel City. Find out what's coming away as far as sequels. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Sequel City, well, Disney has purchased Lucasfilms, as I'm sure you've heard now, and will be making another Star Wars trilogy, continuing with number seven in 2015, and eight and nine, two years or two to three years after each one of those. And uh, the next two James Bond films are already being written by John Logan, who wrote Skyfall, and you can look for Arnold Schwarzenegger to return in another Conan the Barbarian film. That's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen to Be On, TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, December 4th, Eastbound and Down, the complete third season, arrives on Blu-ray and DVD and digital download. And on January 15th, you can get The Jackson 5, the complete animated series. And on March 12th, you can get The Life and Times of Wyatt Earp, Season 2, starring you, O'Brien. And you, of course, was a past guest of On Screen and Beyond, and you can hear his story at onscreenandbeyond.com. Go to our rerun section. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we take a peek at what's coming away as far as movies on DVD. <laughs> movies on DVD, well, Sam Raimi's The Possession, starring Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Kira Sedgwick, will be coming to Blu-ray and DVD on January 15th. And on January 8th, you can look for the Inbetweeners movie to make its way onto DVD and digital download. And on January 15th, the sci-fi thriller Branded hits stores as a terrifying conspiracy is unleashed and it controls the minds of people and one man sets out to reveal the truth. That is it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, Marvin Kaplan, Top Cat's Choo Choo. Also, he was the telephone guy on Alice and he was in loads of other movies including It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, classic comedy film with uh, all kinds of stars. And he's going to talk about that, all the people that were in there. We're going to ask him all kinds of questions and it's coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, I have the pleasure of having as my guest an actor who we have seen on screen for years in films such as the classic It's a Mad, 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 Mad World and Blake Edwards' The Great Race with Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis. On TV in the 50s, he was on Meet Millie for 78 episodes and 82 episodes of Alice in the 70s and 80s. And he has done numerous voiceover roles, including the voice of Choo Choo on the classic 60s cartoon Top Cat. It's Marvin Kaplan. Marvin, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Hi, how are you? 
Marvin, your career, uh, looking at everything that you've done, is is just amazing. I'd like to start at the beginning of your career and work our way through, if that's okay with you. Sure. First off, did you always want to be an actor? In the back of my head, I did, but I never thought I'd make a living at it. So I, I wanted to be a writer. And, I, and at one point when I saw uh, uh, Goodbye, Mr. Chips, I wanted to be a language teacher. <laughs> when I saw the human comedy, I wanted to be a Western Union boy. <laughs> so I kept changing all around. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I I always dreamed I would be an actor, but I never thought I would make it because I'm not exactly uh, a good-looking man or... Um, I didn't think you, I, I was that unusual, to tell you the truth. But you're one of those actors that everybody knows. I mean, you were never the leads, but you were always a face that we remembered. Because I can remember seeing movies and TV shows and say, oh, I know who that guy is. He was in such and such a movie. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I was a character actor, a young character actor. Mm -hmm. And there aren't too many of those around. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember what your very first acting role was? Yes. In in movies? Yes. It was a, a, um, a movie called Francis that Universal put out. Uh, it was directed by Arthur Lubin. It starred Donald O'Connor, yes. Zazu Pitts, and Chill Wills. Mm -hmm. And I played a, an army psychiatrist, and I had one line in the thing. And it was, uh, it was a, tell me, Sterling, uh, is it just one particular mule, or do you all mules talk to you? <laughs> you still remember that line. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And yeah. it took one day to shoot it. And uh, it was a very funny day, because I'd never done movies before. I was in the theater. And... Um, my call was for 9 o'clock, so I, uh, my call was for 10 o'clock, and I thought I'd make a good impression. I showed up at 9. They didn't get to me till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. <laughs> and and uh, all through it, when I read the line, rehearsed the line with the uh, dialogue director, uh, she kept saying, is that how you're going to read it? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, it doesn't sound very military. <laughs> it doesn't sound very authoritarian. And I said, well, so I figured I had lost this job, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, when they got to me at 4 o'clock, uh, Arthur Lubin, the director, said, you know what I want, Kaplan, that same old deadpan delivery. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for her, and she had disappeared. <laughs> so that's how I read it. Also, I didn't know about hitting barks, and I noticed when I met O'Connor, Donald O'Connor, uh, he, he said to me, this kid's going to crack me up. I was 22 years old, mm -hmm. and uh, the other actors, he's treated like human beings, <laughs> and uh, I noticed they all had handkerchiefs in their mouths when I was working. So I figured I was so lousy, they were about to vomit. <laughs> I didn't know they were stopping themselves from laughing. Huh. <laughs> and anyway, I, to hit the marks, well, I, I knew something about the method in those days. And I figured I'm a doctor. Well, 
the other people, I greeted my every nurse and I knew every patient. And I took, you know, it took me a long time to get to the morgue. And so Mr. Lubin said, please get here sooner. And and then was never sooner, so I cut out a few of the hellos and all of that. And by the time I hit the mark, it was I, I knocked over two crippled people, <laughs> <laughs> and I got to that mark faster on time. And when I, they saw the rushes the next day, uh, they said it looks like I was shot out of a cannon. Hmm. And uh, it, I. I thought I was terrible in it, uh, and I got $75 for the day's work, and uh, it, they saw the rushes the next day and said, who is this kid? He, 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 all the executives are dying watching the, the rushes. And, and uh, so I called my agent. I said, should I go home or what? <laughs> he said, no, stick around a little while. <laughs> and I did. But it, it was a frightening day's work because... Uh, here I thought I prostituted my art for seventy-five bucks. <laughs> Jeez! Now that was the first Francis movie, right? Because he made several of them. That, Mr. Lupin directed. He also directed me in a western much later on called Arthur the Kid, where I played a. a it was the first western I ever did, and I played a bandit who was going to steal the gold. And we rode in, and I, I never rode. The last time I rode a horse was at the Brooklyn Academy. <laughs> and they gave me a mule, which is very difficult to ride mm-hmm. or to mount. And we uh, went into the uh, bank and, and said, we want your gold and whatever. And he said, it became the wrong, the wrong day. The shipment wasn't there. And I said, well, if you think we're coming back tomorrow, you're crazy. (laughs) And then I had to jump on this mule. And half the town helped me get on the getaway mule, helped me get up on it. Hmm. And the mule started to buck. It was quite an experience. Also, I kept sitting on my gun. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Now, we read a lot of things on the Internet. And you, you, we never know if they're, they're true or not. So I figured I'd ask you, is it true that uh, you were discovered by Catherine Hepburn? Yes, that is true. She saw me in a play at the Circle Theater, directed by uh, Mabel Albertson. It was a Moliere play called Doctor in Spite of Himself. And I've been playing it for nine weeks. And when you had a celebrity like Hepburn in the audience, we always met them afterwards, but the producer was not a very nice person, and he introduced the cast as, this is the cast. Wow. <laughs> and Hepburn came up to me and said, you're Marvin Kaplan, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. He said, you've done a lot of work, haven't you? And I said, no, this is my first job. <laughs> she said, but you're very good in it. And I don't know, there was something about her. She was so, so beautiful and so fresh. And completely without makeup, and she looked, she looked beautiful, absolutely stunning. And I said to her, I said, you know, you, I, I'm not being fresh, but uh, you remind me of my sister. You, you, you both have red hair and freckles. And she said, yes, this damn son. <laughs> and I figured that was the end of that. But, but the next day, 
I, they brought me in because everyone in the company thought I was terrible. Uh, so I used to come and rehearse every day, practically. They brought me in for rehearsal, and, and on the bulletin board, I saw a notice to call MGM. So I tried to get a paid job there. So I thought that's what it was about, and I, I, I called, and they said, no, they didn't want me. And, and uh, then I, I turned the card around. It was a different extension, and it was George Cukor's office, and he wanted to be there by 3 o'clock. Well, it was now about 1, and I and I, I was not dressed very well for an interview. In those <laughs> days, people dressed up when they went on interviews. Right, yeah. And uh, so I left the rehearsal, apologized. And I took a, a, a cab to my house, which was miles and miles away. And uh, I, I took a cab to Culver City, and I got there about 10 of 3. And I showed up at uh, the uh, talent office, and, and they looked at me like I came to do the books. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, no, we don't want you. And he said, and he said, that's Mr. Cukor's office. He's in the Thalberg building. So I went to the Thalberg building. I arrived exactly at five of three. Mr. Cukor saw me at three o'clock and he said, Catherine Hepburn is your agent. Wow. And then he <laughs> described the part to me. It was the role of a uh, court stenographer who takes down this highly emotional testimony in a very dull, flat voice. And uh, I said, I have a dull, flat voice. And he says, I noticed. <laughs> and that was Adam's rib, right? And, and that was my interview. And that was for Adam's rib. Yeah, yeah, wow. And, I, and about two months later, I got the part. <laughs> the first thing I did, I, my agent said, he, uh, he turned down the part. My agent turned down the part. He had to bet John all this trouble recommending me. And he said, don't get raises in this business. They want to give you scale. I said, I'll take it. I thought I have to pay them. <laughs> and and uh, he said, you don't understand. It's very difficult to get raises in this business. We'll start you up. Uh, and that's how, why he got me the job in, um, in Francis to establish my price at $75. Mm -hmm. And now they... Instead of paying me $175, they had to pay me 250 oh. And after a while, they decided to pay me 250 and I got, it was two weeks' work, and I got $500 for it. And when I came on the set at MGM, it was stage five, I think. It was, it was a beautiful, big stage, and they made it into a courtroom. Uh, Hepburn said to me, she says, well, they're here, you sit for the next two weeks. <laughs> and that was my first job and, and and she was wonderful she was she was so beautiful and so wonderful um, I remember one day I came on the set in the morning and uh, they said senior rushes and we want to do a close up and then I remembered I wasn't wearing the right clothes for the close up I said I, I had not in the right outfit and they said, well, that she please change and thank you very much because it wouldn't match and we could all lose our jobs. Uh -huh. And I said, that's all right. And I ran to, uh, to my dressing room, which was miles away. And I ran into Hepburn driving up in her car. And she said, how are you? Good morning. I said, can't talk to you now. I 
<laughs> I got to change my wardrobe. And uh, so I understand while I was gone, Mr. Cuco got angry that I wasn't ready for the shot. And she said, oh, oh that young boy, he, he probably dropped dead. He was running so fast. <laughs> He'll be here in a minute. Just keep your shirt on, George. And, and uh, people told me this later. She saved my job. Wow. Wow, that's, so that's... She was, and also at, at the end of the shoot, there were very few people invited to the party, the cast party. And I only had a small part in the picture. I had about five lines. Yeah. And she, I was the only bit player, the only supporting player, uh, me and, and the guy who played um, uh, the, the foreman of the jury were the only supporting players. Hmm. He, that, the, support, the, the foreman was... Bill Self, mm -hmm, okay. who became William Self, head of uh, Fox, uh -huh. later on. Yeah, <laughs> and I was the only, we were the only supporting actors invited to the party, and she knew I didn't have a car. I went everywhere by buses, so she arranged for the second AD, who was Joel Freeman, to to to. to to drive me to the uh, party. Wow. <laughs> and when I got there, we were in this huge courtyard of Mr. Cukor's house, and it was a wide, wide, wide area. She she was wearing a long red dress. She walked across diagonally through that entire uh, courtyard to greet me and say, I'm so glad you could come. Hmm. That's the kind of woman she was. Wow, that, yeah, that sounds... She was very, very nice to you. <laughs> wonderful. Great, great. She was a wonderful woman. Uh, Judy Holliday was in the picture, and Judy was from New York, like I was. Mm -hmm. And uh, in one scene, she of Hepburn and a, and a woman named Eve March, who played her secretary, uh, the, the camera favored Judy... And it was a long, it was about a 15-minute scene. And they played it all in the master. And it was brilliant. And uh, Hepburn's nose showed in the master. <laughs> and so they said, we're ready for your close-up, Miss Hepburn. And she said, oh, no, this scene belongs to that girl. If you want to do any close-ups, do them on her. Wow. And she, I never heard of anybody before during or, or since that ever gave away their close-ups to another actor. Right, yeah. That's the holiday. Yeah, she was great. Wow. What great about, woman. What about Spencer Tracy? How was he? I loved him. I thought he was a very sweet man. Well, he was a practical joker. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there was one scene where at the end of the trial where I congratulate her and not him. And uh, I had to walk through this little door leading back out of the courtroom to the exit. And he pretended that I hit him so hard with the door that I I wrenched his back. And, and all, all the blood went out of my face when I saw his look, but I hit him in the back. And I hear I named the greatest actor in the American cinema. And um, after the take, when he saw all the blood rush out of my face, I, I went ahead with it like it was nothing, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nobody else cut, so I kept going. And uh, 
when they yelled cut, I went over to him and I apologized. And he said, uh, and although he saw me shaking, <laughs> and, and he said, don't do it again, kid. <laughs> and then there was a scene that he had with Hope Emerson where uh, he had, she had, she played a, cur- a circus woman who had to lift him up in the air. Now, they rehearsed Hope for about two weeks so she could learn a somersault. Hope weighed almost 200 pounds, but her hands were very dainty and they couldn't support her body. So she couldn't do the somersault. They had a man doing the somersault for her in drag. I didn't know it was, I didn't know it wasn't Hope. (laughs) And, uh, Hope had to pick him up. Well, it was done with wires, and she, she uh, had to touch his bottom in order to pick him up and lift him in the air over her head. Mm-hmm. And he said such rude things to her. <laughs> Watch it. What are you doing there? <laughs> and she started to blush, and she took away her hand, and there he is in midair, sitting in midair. Suspended by wires. <laughs> he was a he was a wonderful man. I loved him very much. Yeah. Now that was the early fifties, um, but two years after that, uh, no, that that was in nineteen. I did that job in nineteen forty nine. Oh, f- well, forty nine. Okay, yeah. Um, but then in in fifty two, um, you got a part as a regular on Meet Millie. Yes, I I did the radio show uh, of uh, Meet Millie. What happened was I worked with an actor named Ed Max, who was a wonderful character man. And Eddie and I played brothers-in-law in a movie called The Fat Man mm-hmm. for one day. Yeah, And we got along so well <laughs> that Eddie recommended me. He was very big in radio. He recommended me to Cy Howard, for whom he worked in My Friend Ehrman. And he brought Howard to the theater where I was working. And uh, Howard just said, yes, so we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll take him. <coughs> and uh, I got my first radio job on a show called The Three of Us. It wasn't, I was offered. I was offered two scripts. I was offered Meet Millie, and I was offered the three of us. Well, in Meet Millie, they were going to use Judy Holiday, and I figured our voices would be too much alike. And in, and uh, the other one, I would play an independent character, so I took that. Mm-hmm. And it was called The Three of Us, and in the cast was Sandra Gould and Hans Conried, who was one of the greatest actors I ever worked yes, with. Yes, yeah. And... Uh, Sandy and 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 Ed Max, they mm-hmm. were the three of us. I was the brother-in-law. Ed was my brother-in-law again, and Sandy was my sister. Mm-hmm. And uh, during the show, just before the show, Cy Howard had gotten caught in the house of prostitution, <laughs> <laughs> and and he was arrested. <laughs> and during. The show, he said to the cast, especially me, who was green as grass, he said that you may, you may see policemen in the booth. Don't get upset. And I said, will they throw us cues? 
<laughs> and Congreve got me aside and said, Kaplan, you can't be replaced, but you can be tortured. <laughs> <laughs> and we did, the three of us, and it got, it got eight minutes of laugh spread. It was a hysterically funny show. But the, the network had it in for Howard at that point, and they wouldn't sell any of his product. Uh, so um, the right weeks later, I ran an unemployment office. I ran into the writers of of the of the three of us, who were Bill Manhoff and Dole Kane. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was at the unemployment office, and I ran into these two writers, and they said they weren't happy with who was playing Morty Rappaport, the part they offered me originally. <laughs> and would I consider doing Meet Millie in a different character? Well, the actor I replaced was Bill Tracy, who was a very nice man. And, and, and um, they wrote in a character called Alfred E. Prinsmel, mm-hmm, yep. uh, who was the poet, uh, <laughs> the neighbor of Meet Millie and her mother. And I did the po- I did the part, and my agent decided that I shouldn't get any billing for it. If the audience were interested, they would write in and find out who did the did the uh, role. And that's exactly what happened. They got a lot of people writing in to find out who played Alfred, and so I I became Alfred E. Prince Metal, a new character on a show called Meet Millie. Mm-hmm. We did the radio show with Audrey Totter and uh, B. Benadaren, and Earl Ross, and Rye Billsbury. We did it for at least two years, and then they were going to do the television version of it, Mm -hmm. and they couldn't get Audrey because she was under contract at Columbia. They couldn't get B because she was uh, with Burns and Allen. So they tested people, and they tested me, and I, they, uh, I was the only one from the radio show who got the job in the television show. Wow! Uh, and uh, we got uh, Elena Vidugo and Florence Hallam. Oh, yes. And we did it live, and uh, we did it for fifty-two weeks a year for four years, wow. and uh, no vacations. <laughs> Florence had to get pregnant one year, and they gave her two weeks off to have the baby. Mm-hmm. So those were filmed, and I asked Elena to get pregnant the next year so we could have another two weeks off. She told me to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we we finally went off the air. Uh, we went off the uh, we went off the air three times. The public wrote us back twice. And after I did the Meet Millie um, the television show, I didn't work for seven years. Wow. But it was, uh, there were no vacations in those days for television actors. Right. If you did TV, it was considered you were slipping in your career. Right. Yeah, if you did then. commercials, they considered you a complete flop. Yeah. Yeah. It's changed a lot <laughs> <How> since then. <laughs> how different perceptions are today. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. Now, after the show was done, Meet Millie, I see here that you actually redid the character of Alfred again on the Red Skelton Hour one time? Well, I played, I, I, it was a similar part. It wasn't Alfred. 
I did the, I did Alfred on the dedication show to Television City. Ah, okay. With Jack Denny and and, and uh, Burns and Allen and, and Gail Gordon and Bob Sweeney and wow, you know, and, <laughs> you uh, named uh, a lot of great actors. <laughs> oh, they were. We had more. Radio had the best collection of, of actors of any medium I was ever in, including the theater and 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 maybe movies too, because uh, each act you could only you only had so many hours of rehearsal. You sat around the table and you read the script, and then you went up on mic to test it, and then you you, you went, then you did the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so they had to get actors who could work very quickly and efficiently. And the Benedict was so marvelous; she was probably the greatest character woman I ever worked with. And uh, I I asked B, I said B, you're so good. Uh, as a matter of fact, I used to watch her when I was off mic, and then I, like a fool, I would start to laugh and cry while I was on, you know, on stage with her. Mm-hmm. She was so great, and, and I said, "B, why don't you go to New York? You're as good as, as most of the character women in New York, except maybe for Shirley Booth." <laughs> And, and, and but I mean, you're as good as Eileen Hecker and all those wonderful people. Mm-hmm. You could make a fortune in New York, and you get known because everybody's taking you for granted here. Be they know you're great. Every actor who's ever worked with you loves you. And she said, Marvin, I'm a bread and butter actress. I have to put my my husband left me. I have to put my kids through school. Wow. So I take whatever they give me, and I try to make it better. Huh. And she stayed in L.A. She didn't go to New York. Wow. Huh. But B was one, probably the, one of the greatest talents around. She was marvelous. She could make you laugh and cry the same minute, the same way Judy Holliday could do. Yeah. And yeah. Shirley Booth could do, and all those wonderful people. Mm-hmm. And Hans Conried was a genius. Oh, yeah. He, never needed, he didn't need any rehearsal. And what, what would happen is if we got a laugh, he would lift his pant leg to milk it and would be wearing a green sock. <laughs> and if he wanted to extend the lap, milk it, he would lift his other pants leg and it would be a red sock. <laughs> and he said, I have another pair like this at home. <laughs> he was brilliant. He was a great, great talent. Yeah. Which we don't have much of it anymore. Yeah. Now, when we started talking, the first thing that came to my mind was your voice. I knew it right off because growing up, I saw Top Cat. And your vo- I knew you as that voice as soon as I heard it, the voice of Choo Choo. Yes. <laughs> but, but, but what happened was Hanna-Barbera did the show, and, and they stole it from Bilko. Hey. If you think about it, Bilko's gang and our gang were exactly alike. Mm-hmm. And I think they tried to get Phil for it, but they couldn't. Uh-huh. So they first they got Michael O'Shea to do Top Cat, and he wasn't. He's was a good actor, but not very funny. And, and uh, then they got Arnold Stang to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, Arnold was wonderful in it. And then they got Maurice Gosfield. Do you remember him? Maurice Gosfield. Maurice Gosfield a- played Doberman on Bilko. Okay, okay. 
He was brilliant. He was one of the funniest people I ever met in my whole life. Hmm. He's hysterically funny. Uh, Mo was from New York, and he couldn't drive at all. But he's got a driver's license. I have no idea how. Probably by doing police benefits. <laughs> and he rented this Thunderbird, this huge Thunderbird, and, and um, every part of it was dented. <laughs> and he got through with it. And his, he was a very short man. Mm-hmm. And when he sat in the in the driver's seat. His feet couldn't reach the gas pedal. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so they they had this wheel in front of him, which could move to the side. So his passenger helped him steer. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, he called me every, every day we spoke. And uh, I could tell from the tone of his voice that he got another ticket. And, they, and, and he said to me, he said, Marvin, and I said, I know you got another uh, driving ticket. And he said, no, he said, it wasn't my fault, Marvin. I said, I made a right turn. Well, if you knew that he made his right turn from the center lane. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, and the cops followed me, and, and they pulled me over, and I, I backed into the policeman's motorcycle. Oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, my God. <laughs> I said, he said, and then he said the craziest line I ever heard. He said, but I want to know, Marvin, is should I fight it? (laughs) (laughs) I said, no, Mo. If you hadn't hit the motorcycle, you might have had a shot. Right. (laughs) But keep doing benefits for the police. I think you gave him good advice. (laughs) Right. But he was hysterically funny, man. I loved it, Barb. Maurice very, very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he would fall asleep during the recordings of Top Cat. And we would each take different turns waking him up so you shouldn't make a noise and ruin the recording. <laughs> Nowadays, they, I know they have the voiceovers. One guy might do it one day, the next person might do it another time, and it's not necessarily all together. But when you did Top Cat, was it more like doing a radio oh, show? It was like a party. It was, it was radio. Yeah, okay. It was done the same, same way as radio then, yeah. And we, we, they didn't keep us there any longer than, than two hours at most. Wow. Yeah, so and we a- ate like horses, and, and we <laughs> told each other jokes. It was a party. Yeah, yeah. The uh, creative and merchandising brains of Hanna Barbera. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Hanna was the um, the artist who made all the drawings and all of that, and he was he was the very creative, sweet, and a quiet man. And Joe was just the opposite. And Joe gave directions to all the actors. Well, we're in the booth, and Joe leaves this bottle, this bottle of pills in the control room. Now, none of us knew what the pills were. We all took one. <laughs> because Joe was in his 60s or 70s, and he looked 30. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we all took a pill. Uh, it was very, we had great people. We had Herschel Bernardi. Oh, uh, Joe yeah. DeLion was a regular on it. He did all the instruments 
at once. He could play five instruments with his mouth at once. Wow. Uh, uh, John Stevenson played nicely, nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, B. Benaderet did some of them because it was a, it was a company. Yeah. But the ones Hanna Barbera did the Flintstones. He's right. And yes. So some of the he's used Gene Van Der Pyle and and B. Benaderet who were in that show, mm-hmm. on our show, yeah. you know. Jeez. The way you got a job in those days in in, in uh, voiceover, uh, you auditioned for it, and if they had three guys under contract, Don Messick, yeah. uh, Norm, I forgot his last name, and... and um, Doors Butler. Doors, yes, yes. And if they couldn't do your voice, you got the job. <laughs> <laughs> well, they couldn't do my voice. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and uh, so I got the job. And, and Joe said to me, he said, Marvin, nobody can read a line the way you read it. <laughs> you know, they were very nice to me. I loved it. It was the easiest work I ever did. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, Hans Conrad said the great line about radio. He said he wished it had come after television because uh, television was tough. You had to get shaved. You had to get dressed. <laughs> and radio, you could show up any way you wanted, except there was a studio audience. You got dressed. And uh, nothing to memorize. Nothing. It was a cinch compared to television. Right, yeah. <laughs> and none of us realized that until it was too late. Right. <laughs> I'm still a member of a radio group. I, I'm I'm with CART, California Artists Radio Theater, that Peggy Weber founded 30 years ago. Wow. And we had people like Jeanette Nolan in the group. Mm-hmm. And Norman Lloyd, wow, and uh, Dan uh, O'Herlihy, and yeah. and brilliant oh uh, um, that wonderful uh, Warner David Warner, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Samantha Agar. We have brilliant people in that group. Uh, Kathleen Freeman, wow. you know, yeah. and uh, I'm part of that group. What's left of it? Oh, jeez. So you're still they doing did my musical. As a matter of fact, they. They put on my musical that I wrote uh, called, uh, it was a Western called Good House for a Killing, and uh, they did it. It was an hour show. Uh, I, I had to cut out a half hour of the musical in order to make it fit 60 minutes. But I mean, because I wrote an hour and a half show, mm, yeah. or, or a two-hour show, and as uh, a musical. And... Um, they had wonderful people in it, and, and it was a very rewarding experience. And she insisted that I act in it as well as uh, write it. Yeah. Huh. The classic film, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. How did you get the part in that? Oh, that was a fluke. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Jackie Mason was supposed to do the part hmm. of Irwin in, in that show, and... Uh, Jackie had a schedule, a nightclub schedule of a whole bunch of, of bookings that he had to do while he was in California. And he gave the list to Stanley Kramer, and Kramer fired him. Huh. 
and they, they, there was a vacancy in the cast. Yeah. And Ann Kramer, who was uh, Stanley's first wife, used to cast by putting people's t- eight by tens together and see how they looked as, together as a group. And they decided I should play it. Now, my agent sent me the script. My agent was Maya Mishkin, a very wonderful man. I stayed with him for over 25 years. Anyway, he sent me the script, and I called him back, and I said, you know, Meyer, I, I almost got killed reading the script. You know what they want me to do? They want me to go through a plate glass window. <laughs> they want me to throw an axle. <laughs> I, I said, I can't do all that. He said, Marvin, your deal is that you'll do all the stunts that your partner does. I said, who's my partner? He said, Arnold Stang. <laughs> well, I know Arnold's the biggest coward in the American theater. <laughs> so I said, whatever Arnold wants to do, I will consent to do. <laughs> but then we worked with a guy named Jonathan Winters, who was mm-hmm. an ex-Marine, and he thought all the actors should do their own stunts. Wow. <laughs> so we sat on the sidelines, <clears throat> And watching uh, Jonathan work, hoping he'd get hurt. <laughs> Not seriously, just <laughs> just enough so he'd be a stunt man <laughs> to do his stuff. And, and sure enough, in the rehearsal, he wrenched his back. Oh, geez. So Arnold and I looked at each other and gave each other the nod, knowing if he needed a stunt man, we would do stunt people. Mm-hmm. Now it's hard to find a stunt person for Arnold Stang. Arnold is very short and has no chin. And so, so they found a guy who does chimps. His name was Janos Prochaska. And uh, he played all the chimps in movies. And but the problem was that he also had no chin, but he had huge shoulders. And Arnold had no shoulders to speak of. So they had to give him shoulder pads so he'd look as good as his stuntman. Oh, jeez. Me, they got a guy named Bill Maxwell, who's a very handsome kid, who was thin. And they kept putting padding in him to make him look fat like me. And I didn't. I, I kept taking the padding out because I wanted to look thin on the score. <laughs> now, what happened was, I found out that the stuntmen are the most protected people on a set. Uh... <laughs> In one scene, Phil Silvers is being thrown against a gasoline pump. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had nothing, nothing to protect him. They gave him elbow pads oh, and they gave him knee pads, but his back was very vulnerable. Wow. At that scene, in that scene, uh, Jonathan had to hit uh, Phil with, with a, a rubber tire a light rubber tire. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to hit him in the knees, which had knee pads, <laughs> yeah. and in the elbows, which had elbow pads. He didn't hit him there. He hit him in the head. jeez. Oh, <laughs> he hit him in the groin. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, had, Phil had two, he had, they, had, they were two takes, and Phil had to go to the hospital. jeez. Oh, so I went to the dark man, and I felt him up, so to speak. And he had something under his cap, a, a, a thing to protect his head. Uh-huh. 
he had uh, something on his back to protect his back. He had uh, uh, knee pads, elbow pads. He had the works. And I said, I want to look as good as my stunt man. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't get hurt. I could have gone as a gladiator. I got. Wow. I was so protected. <laughs> yeah. And thank God uh, we had a stunt people because in one scene they had Bill Maxwell had to be thrown across a desk or, or a table with enough force to go through a window, wow. which would take down that wall and so on. Well, in the rehearsal, they didn't throw him with enough momentum and his neck, his head hit the um, edge of the table. Mm -hmm. I thought he broke his neck. Wow. I thought he was dead. Jeez. Now, that could have been me. <laughs> you know, but he was okay, and then they did it the next time, and he was perfect. But there were about 15 ways you could get killed from that stunt. Jeez. It sounds like a very physical now, movie. Right. And the driving, I was so glad I was on the ground all the time. Because <laughs> if I watch the movie with the driving, I get very nervous. Mm -hmm. It was very, very tricky, the stunt driving in that movie. Jeez. Yeah, bypassing each other, cutting each other off, hitting each other on the side. Yeah. My God. And, and, and um, that, that scene with the airplane going through the uh, billboard, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the man, I forgot his name, but he was a brilliant uh, pilot. He died about uh, eight eight months later and, uh, and from a very simple thing he had to do but I mean that that was a, a killer stunt wow jeez you know and the stunt work with that was admirable now today you can see that in the scene they're all stuck on on that uh, ladder outside the hotel the rickety ladder mm -hmm. you can see that it's not the actors it's not the first team it is it's a uh, stand-ins and then doubles. Yeah. But, uh, my God, it, it, it's terrifying. And, uh, and and in that scene where they're throwing the money out, the money gets loose, mm -hmm. they hired extras. They threw real money out. Oh, really? <laughs> and the extras were killing each other to get the extra money. <laughs> Terrible. Jeez. I'm so glad I was. My see, my sequence was the safest sequence in it. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> my experience with the the Great Race was not that good. Oh, really? Why is that? Well, I worked with a man named Arthur O'Connell, mm -hmm. who was also a, a, a prankster <laughs> from the theater. And a friend of Jerry Howe's, and I should have known right away we were in trouble. Because <laughs> uh, Jerry played terrible tricks on people. He told one woman who did a radio show, she was hired very seldom, and she got a part where she played, a, which played two parts. And one was as a Walla Walla a lady in a restaurant, a customer in a restaurant, and Rudy Valley's maid. Uh -huh. And he told her she should dress for each part. So she does the Walla Walla, runs out of the studio, meets some friends along the way, tells them she's working, misses her second cue as Rudy's maid. Uh 
And it was the first time, and, and it became a legend, the first person ever who did a wardrobe change on radio. <laughs> that was Jerry Hasnett. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Oki, Arthur O'Connell, was, was his buddy. Mm -hmm. So they, we, I, we were the first shots in the movie. Uh, we worked the first afternoon of the movie. The, in the morning, Jack... Jack Lemon had to jump out of a window and land on a bunch of boxes on cartons that didn't give. Mm -hmm. And he wrenched his back. Oh, jeez. Now, Oki is supposed to... Uh, uh, I'm, on, I'm, on the, I'm on the roof. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's supposed to rescue me and the pigeon, trying to catch a carrier pigeon. I caught the carrier pigeon. Pigeons aren't all that bright. <laughs> and I caught the, the pigeon. And instead of uh, uh, Oki helping me get off the roof, he takes the pigeon out of, he rescues the pigeon and leaves me dangling off the roof. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got down on the ground and, and uh, Blake Edwards says to me, uh, he had a, a, a stuntman named Dick Crockett, who was dressed exactly like me, who was my stuntman. Mm -hmm. And he shows me Dick, and he has Dick rehearse the thing on the roof. He says, wouldn't it be funny, Marvin, if uh, all we see are your hands creeping along the windowsill, and you get a boost up, and you look through the window, and Arthur uh, yells, Frisbee, and you, he frightens you so you fall off the roof. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, that's very funny. <laughs> Thinking somebody else was going to do it. Right. You know? And he has Dick do it, rehearse it. And as he looks through the viewfinder, and he, uh, and he says, uh, well, you're going to fall off the roof. I said, yeah, I said, yeah. I said, that was me falling off the roof. And he says, you know it wasn't you. <laughs> I said, I know it. <laughs> And you know it, but the audience isn't going to know. He said, no, we're too close with the camera. The audience will see it's not you. You've got to do the stunt. Oh, boy. Well, <laughs> if, what happened was I only had to fall six feet. Mm -hmm. and, and another two feet, I would, I would have to land on my back on a parallel bar with the mattress and stay there, freeze, not roll over, because it was another 15 feet to my death. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so I, I did it, and we did it in nine different takes of it. Oh, jeez. Because the things weren't right with the camera, the screams weren't right, whatever. Nine takes, and I thought I deserved the quad de guerre for going through that thing. <laughs> jeez. <laughs> but, but, uh, Lemon and, and Curtis and Natalie and Ross Martin and Peter Fork, all those great people, mm -hmm. yeah. they all signed a deal that they would do their own stunts, wow. which I didn't know about. They, I didn't sign such a deal, but I ended up doing my own stunts. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> that could be dangerous. <laughs> Very dangerous. Yeah. We were the, the doves, they were Mickey and doves flying around and we couldn't get him out of the 
out of the flies, mm-hmm. and, and they were crapping on us. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite an experience. Boy, He's the... a very athletic man, or was a very athletic man, Blake. He died last year. Right, yes, yeah. yeah. Hmm. And he was a very good actor. Yeah. And, uh, but but uh, everybody on the picture got hurt. I can imagine, jeez. <laughs> yeah, everybody got hurt. Natalie almost drowned. Well, isn't it ironic? She yeah, jeez. drowned later on in life. She was right. terrified of water. Huh. And um, Tony got un- felt, became unconscious in the balloon. Mm. He was up in the balloon and they, they had to take him down. And... <laughs> And Ross Martin had a scene with Tony where they were dueling, and uh, they could have put in the sound effects later, but uh, Blake wanted, didn't look like like real swords to him, didn't sound like swords. He had him fight with real swords without uh, uh, any tape on it or anything. (laughs) And Tony cut Ross under the eye. Oh, jeez. And they said, all right, and they had put, they put makeup on. They said, it's about a, a quarter of an inch under your eye. You uh, put some makeup on, you'll be fine. Jeez. I'm not today, those would have, they would have, with a lawsuit. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Right? That's for sure. Not then. <laughs> Nobody sued anybody. Hmm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But everybody got hurt in the picture. Jeez. Now, in the 70s and 80s, you were on Alice, and I can remember you from that show so much. So were you on the total run of the whole show from beginning to end? No, the show was on the year before. uh, The property was Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Right, yeah, that movie. Which was not a comedy, it was a drama. Right. With uh, Ellen Burstyn and then uh, Diane Ladd and some other people. Yep. Dick was the only one who was in the original company of that. Mm-hmm. Dick Tayback played, was in the movie and in our series. Now, they got a couple of writers who didn't know what to do. One is owned the property. They wanted to make it a series. They wanted to make it a comedy series, a sitcom. Mm-hmm. And no one knew how to handle it. So they finally hired... Madeline uh, Pugh Davis and uh, Bob Carroll Jr., who were Lucy's writers. Yes, yeah. Who decided they could do Lucy in the diner. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Linda Lavin uh, uh, is a very terrific actress, but she's not Lucille Ball. Right. And she's not, she's not Barry Tyler Moore. She... And they hired an actress named Polly Holiday, mm-hmm, yeah. who was very bro- could be very broad, and that would work very well for them. And they got Vic to be broad, and they finally figured out what to do with Beth's character. They made her Gracie Allen, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, they were able to broaden all the characters, Alice a little bit, you know, yeah. but it became a, a sitcom. Now, they came along a script where I could have played a, a part of, the, of a boy's a high school student's father, but they instead they hired me for the part of a guy, a customer who comes in and sits at the diner mm-hmm. and uh, tears out a telephone from the wall. Well, I knew that they had to remember a character who tears out the, the phone booth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I took that part. And when they knew they had me in that part, they wrote for me in that part. And the part of the boy's father got written less and less. And it ended up, uh, I said, I'm from, uh, after I tore out the phone, I said, I'm from the phone company. You needed a new one anyway. <laughs> they they uh, said, Marvin, I got, it got such terrific reaction from the audience. I got a, a huge hand when I tore out the phone. Another huge hand when they came in with the new phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they said, now that we know we have you, Marvin, uh, would you want to do another show for us? And I said, be my guest. Well, three weeks later, we did a script where it was uh, Mel's 50th birthday. Mm-hmm. And they needed, they would do a roast on him. And they had, and I, uh, they didn't know how to introduce my character, so I said, why don't I say, um, uh, well, like they say at the phone company, hello. (laughs) (laughs) And at the end of it, I said, well, they say at the phone company, goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) And And I introduced the roast. Mm-hmm. And they thought it was very funny, and, and, and they wrote, they said, all right, and, and the, but this is for the problem. My first show, I got $1,200. The second show, I got $1,200. The show worked five days. Now they asked me to get hit with a plate of spaghetti in my head by Desi Arnaz. <laughs> And I said, well, why not be my guest? Because the guy that they wanted to do had a beard. He didn't want that spaghetti in his beard for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I took the plate of spaghetti. And, but the show only worked three days. I only worked three days. So they gave me, instead of $1,200, they prorated my salary and gave me $900. Mm. Which was fine. And then... They used me in another show. By now, the girls didn't want to rehearse five days. They didn't want to do five. They wanted to, want to do four days. Uh-huh. So the next show I did for them was four days, and they gave me $1,000. I started out with 1200 Now get the thousand. <laughs> the more they like me, the more the salary is going I guess down. so. <laughs> <laughs> so I had an agent in those days named Rita Chandler. And the way she would get me raises was she would go to the casting office and, and to the, uh, the Madeline and Bob, lay down on the floor and have a tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> I 
until they gave me a $200 raise every year. Wow. <laughs> so I worked the show for eight years, yeah. and my ending salary was $3,750 a show, which I thought was tremendous. But the other actors were getting 60000 80000 wow. and Linda was getting 100000 Hmm. Boy. And I was happy with 3750 I thought I was vastly overpaid. <laughs> and I loved, I loved Madeline uh, Davis. She's a great woman. She, she was the exec on this show. Yeah. And along with Bob. And she was like the velvet glove. Hmm. Not, not even an iron fist, but the velvet glove. Yeah, yeah. And... I loved her very much. And they trusted me. For instance, there was one show where they had, well, the truck went through the diner. The truck ended up through the diner, and Mark directed it, Mark Daniels, who was mm-hmm. a great director. And, and um, he knew exactly where the pieces would fall and everything, but how, how destroyed the, the diner would look. Now, after the truck went through the diner, I threw in the line, you know, you know I like it better as an outdoor cafe. <laughs> and they all laughed, and they said, put it in. <laughs> and it was in the show. Yeah. They trusted me. I also had a show where uh, Beth's character, Vera, was in a tap dancing contest with Donald Mm O'Connor. And I was cheering her, was saying, yay, Vera, yay, Vera. So they said, I couldn't, they asked me to figure out a funny way to do the cheers. So what I decided, I would make my body into a V, make my body into an E, Make my body into an R, make my body into an A. And I was so tired it was. Thank God your name is Gwendolyn. <laughs> and they trusted me. They liked me. Wow. Yeah. And they thought I, they knew I could get laughs and yeah. stuff. Huh. And uh, it's very rare that that happens. Now everybody's so paranoid especially yeah. comedy creators. Right. They don't, they don't trust their actors. Yeah. So what are you doing now? I mean, you're still acting. Yes, and... I am. I did, I did The Price a couple of years ago. I'm in a wheelchair. Uh-huh. I had a stroke in 2005. And if you show up at an interview in a wheelchair, kiss a job goodbye. Ah, uh, yeah. Simple as that. Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of years ago, I wrote and produced a low-budget film called Watch Out for Slick. Yes, yeah. Which is now on, on the Internet to be sold as a DVDs. And the average age in it is 70-plus. Wow. And I have marvelous people in it. It's a very funny movie. It already won nine festivals. Wow, that's great. And we're still looking for a distributor. And, you know, I hate to say this, but there's a prejudice against older people in our business. Oh, yeah. For instance, at these festivals, they show all the films. Well, at our film, we got nine people in the audience. For young people's films, they packed the house. 
huh. young people, those same audiences, shunned our movie because it was written, created by older people. Huh. It's a boycott against older people. Yeah. And especially against uh, disabled older people. Yeah, yeah. Not only in the business, but in the whole society. Mm-hmm. I mean, you try to go someplace and uh, see how many places are physically accessible. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's... Small steps, which nobody can make who's in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. So that's my new uh, thing. I also wrote a new screenplay mm-hmm. about a man who decides to murder his family in order to become a media celebrity. Huh, okay. And it's a takeoff on reality shows, which I loathe to a great extent, these quiz programs all catered to people's greed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and they're doing away with regular good stuff. There are very few really good series on the air, comedy series or dramatic series. Mm-hmm. I watched Turner because those people knew how to tell a story. Those, yeah. those writers and those actors, you know, they knew how to handle the medium. Uh, the new the new performances aren't there anymore. They don't you, they don't write parts for character people. We have a great pool of character people still around. Yeah. Nobody. There are no characters that they can play. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's terrible true. what's going on right now. Yeah. It's changed a lot. Yeah. Huh. It's all young, and it's not good young. It, 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 it's it's uh, inexperienced young. Yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, it's a reality. A lot of that reality stuff is... It's pure it's, crap. It's, it's, yeah, it's just a waste of time. <laughs> We're living in a sewer. Yeah. i got to tell you something. Last week was the big debate, the big presidential debate, mm-hmm. right? The yeah. first one. I decided to miss it. And I, I went to see... Limelight, which is at the Academy. Uh-huh. Limelight is a movie done by Charlie Chaplin. He did it in 1951, I believe. It was released in this country. Mm-hmm. Nobody saw it at the time because uh, it was never played in Hollywood because Hedda Hopper had a thing for uh, Charlie Chaplin. She wanted to be thrown out of the country. Wow. And they made up all kinds of terrible stories about it, and eventually he was deported. Well, I worked for Chaplin at the uh, Circle Theater. I was his stage manager. Wow. And while we were doing Rain, he was writing Limelight. So I went to see it, and I saw some of my old friends in it, yeah. like uh, Sidney Chaplin, who was uh, Mr. Chaplin's son. And Charlie Chaplin Jr., who was his other son. Mm-hmm. And... Um, my old roommate, Julian Ludwig, who played a uh, musician. And then all those memories come back. Yeah, I'm it's sure. It's a brilliant movie. It's a wonderful movie. Yeah. One that makes you laugh and cry. and so on. There's one scene, a sequence with Buster Keaton, where they play musicians. Keaton plays a pianist, and uh, Chaplin plays a violinist. Keaton's sheet music keeps falling off the piano. It is so funny. I last 20 minutes. <laughs> that's it's great. a brilliant movie. That's, that's comedy. That's great. That's art. Yeah. And the place was packed. 
a lot of people are fed up with all this political nonsense, mm. all this hype. Yeah, oh, you yeah. know, which is really an anticlimax at this point. Yeah, yeah. I think people have decided who they want to vote for by now. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's all crap, and uh, but the place was packed. Hmm. Well, apparently, I'm not the only one who felt like this. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, this we, we're going to finish up with two final questions, and and this sort of leads up to that. Um, first off, what are your favorite TV shows of all time? What do you enjoy watching? All in the Family. Ah, classic. Yeah. And uh, the Honeymooners. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, what else? Oh, the Mary Tyler Moore show and Big Van Dyke, all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about movies? And the movies I, I love to see are, um, I would love to see Shirley Booth's performance again in Come Back Little Sheba. Yeah. Um, I love Adam's Rib. Which I'm in, but right. I, that's yeah. not why I loved it. I, it's, it's a great, great comedy. Right, it's good. Classic, um, yeah. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Another classic. Oh, and then a lot of the Preston Sturgis movies, The Miracle of Morgan's Creek. Uh-huh. Well, nobody even heard of Preston Sturgis for crying out. I, I've heard the name. In fact, of course, I, a, I've interviewed great, somebody, and they said they said that was one of their favorite directors. I can't remember who had said that, but somebody else had said that before. He was brilliant, and I and I worked with another brilliant man named David Lynch. Yes, yeah. We did uh, Wild at Heart together. Hmm. Yeah. And David David is a very skilled man, very overlooked and very taken for granted. And not given many assignments anymore. Yeah. Um, and you you played Uncle Pooch in that movie. <laughs> I played Uncle Pooch, yes. right? A, a child molester, right? And I had a wonderful time. <laughs> yeah, it was very funny. I mean, we had a good time with that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there there isn't much. I understand. I haven't seen it yet. But I understand there's a movie, something about Madrigal Gardens with Maggie Smith and Judy Dench. Mm-hmm. It was made for $8 million. Wow. Story made over $186 million. <laughs> and and uh, it's all older people. Yeah. And, and Tom Wilkinson is in it. And a couple, I heard there's some brilliant performances in it. Hmm. And, uh, you see, they give older people a shot in England, but not in this country. Yeah. Yeah, well, you remember the uh, the show that, um, the movie that Jack Lemmon and... Matthau was a great actor. Matthau, yes, yes. So was Jack. Yeah, oh yeah, and those were good movies. Right. Yeah. They, don't, they don't have actors like that anymore, yeah. or at least they don't give them opportunities. Right, yes, yeah. An actor in my movie called Steve Franken, who died about three weeks ago, uh, he never got a job. He never got the kind of parts he should have gotten. Mm, yeah. He played. He played in the party with uh, Peter Sellers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He played the drunken butler. Okay. And he was wonderful in it, but uh, there, 
they don't give character people a shot. Yeah. Not and then they did. Then they used to have huge roasters of character people on every studio lot. They had a list mm -hmm. of yeah. their own contract players who were character actors. Yeah. Claude Rains yes. and Thomas Mitchell and Lionel Barrymore. Right. You know, you go through the list and in every area they had some who could do the biggest parts and some who could do the smallest parts. Mm -hmm. And they were all wonderful actors yeah. who worked a yeah. lot. They don't do that anymore. Yeah, it's a shame. Well, Marvin, I want to thank you so much. This has been fascinating, listening to all your stories, and, and I thank you for taking the time to share with us. Thank you. And uh, I appreciate if people would go out and buy uh, Watch Out for Slick, which is now available on the internet. The, I'm going to produce my new movie, but it's called Looking Up, the one about the man who's the murderer mm -hmm. of his family. Yeah, and uh, I'm writing a um, a musical now. Another musical, uh, of five, five characters. It's about Bluebeard. Oh, okay. And one actress is consented to play all seven parts, and Bluebeard doesn't commit any of the murders. Mm -hmm. His nurse commits the murders. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because she wants to be Mrs. Bluebeard and she gets rid of the competition. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's going to be very funny. Yeah. I'm working on it. Yeah. I love writing lyrics. I hate writing the books to musicals. That's that's drudgery to me. But the lyrics, I, I could do that all day. Jeez. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing you keep busy. That's that, That's good. Absolutely. And occasionally, if a good part, oh, I'm, I'm not directing something at our group. I'm directing Harvey at our group. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which it, is funny old comedy. Right. Because I'm yes. writing something like that. I'm writing a play about a woman who's a retired soap opera actress who calls up all her friends every day on the telephone. The problem is they're all dead. Oh, jeez. And she lives with her agent, who is now running a single mating type of thing from her home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she falls in love with this guy. The problem is he's dead. <laughs> Jeez. And at one point, they're planning to get married together. And the little clo I have the closing line of the show. It's, she says, you know, we decided not to get married. And the family says, thank you, know, thank God. <laughs> it's a deep sigh of relief. says, we're going to elope. <laughs> Something like what happened in uh, Some Like It Hot. Right. When he says, I'm a man, says, nobody's perfect. Yeah. That, that kind of a, a topper to it. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Huh. We don't have Billy Wilder anymore. Right. We don't have people who do comedy anymore. I know, yeah. Yeah, so he had Oh, Jonathan had... Winters and, uh, and I did a thing at the, uh, we, we signed autographs the other day. Oh, really? He's a brilliant talent and nobody, nobody wants to use him the way he should be used. Yeah. yeah He's I... doing Grandpa Smurf. I worked with him as Grandpa Smurf. He's now doing Papa Smurf in a movie. Yes, and yeah. And Junie Foray is doing something in a movie. June, but yes. very few of our radio, top radio and animation people, are working. It's all young stars. Mm -hmm. We make a million bucks a shot. Yeah, 
Yeah. We didn't make that kind of money, but we did much better work. Right, yes, that's for sure. Some classic work, that's, right. that's for sure. Yeah. All right, well, th- thank you so much, Marvin. I appreciate it very thank much. You. Nice talking to you. All I right. enjoyed it. And a great big thank you going out to Marvin Kaplan for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. I appreciate it very much that he took so much time to talk to us and let us in on all the stories he's got. What a amazing man and a career that he's had and, and the different shows and movies he's been in, the people he's worked with. A lot of fun to hear those stories, and I thank him very much for taking the time. I hope you enjoyed it. And next week we're going to have another great guest coming away. As I said, uh, during uh, the November 8th, through the 11th, I will be in Moraga, California at the California Independent Film Festival. I'll be moderating a conversation with Don Wells and a conversation with Connie Stevens. If you're in that area, stop on by. want to see you. And I know, you, you know, Connie and Don, uh, Don it's just going to be so much fun talking to them. And we're going to have audience participation where you guys can ask questions and, and everything. It's just going to be a lot of fun. So I hope you'll join me for that. And uh, remember to like us on Facebook, and if you have a request for a guest, email it to me at feedback at onscreenorbeyond.com. And that is about it. That's a wrap for this week on On Screen or Beyond. Next week, we have a guest coming your way that you do not want to miss. Until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. (laughs) 